Uh, yeah, so just to share a little bit about myself, uh, you know, I think if you haven't met my wife, Cindy, she is indeed my better half, but uh, we we're both from Southern California, born and raised. Uh, my parents actually came over from Asia. So my uh, mom was Chinese Malaysian, you know, came over from Malaysia. Uh, my father was from Korea. They met in the States at Arizona State University, eventually moved over to Southern California where I was, you know, raised as a child. Uh, kind of what's core to you know, my life and, and testimony is that uh, my, I never knew my biological father growing up. And so you know, even though they both professed to be believers, my biological dad actually left my mom when I was very little. Uh, as, you know, he was having an affair, you know, wanted to start a new life with his new family. Uh, and so I was actually raised you know, by a single mom. And I think one of the great testimonies of God's grace is that he really used that to so uh, refine and sanctify her, right? Going through the pain of, of uh, losing your husband and everything that that entails. But as a result of that, you know, she became one of the godliest uh, women that I ever knew. And so eventually as she uh, met my stepfather, you know, Frank Mastrolinardo, which is where I now have my last name, who had also gone through a similar affair with his wife, had actually left him. Um, they came together in really a marriage in which they were both so refined through those trials. And, and so I grew up really, you know, from all my waking years, knowing two parents that wanted to know and love and serve the Lord with really all of their being, right? And even to this day, I'm able to look back. And again, not that any parent or individual is perfect, but I can really look and say, God has so used them in powerful ways to really teach me the gospel, even from an early age. And, and so my entire upbringing, you know, always knew the, the truth of scriptures, was going to a Bible teaching church and, uh, you know, had a wonderful privilege of going to various mission trips. Uh, we would go down to Mexico, you know, once a month to serve an orphanage down there and I'd be able to go even overseas uh, to help with different churches and missionary groups. It was all a wonderful experience of, again, seeing that the Christian life is not just being lived for us, right, for us personally, but you know, we, we have the importance of the Great Commission. And I really want to think not only nationally, but globally about how God is working all across the world. Um, just such an incredible um, an experience I was able to have as a younger boy. Uh, but kind of, you know, one of the key pivotal times for me was when I was going through middle school and high school. Uh, I, I was actually homeschooled all the way through. And so again, got to appreciate, uh, you know, very kind of personalized education and studying and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I was also a really awkward child. And so, you know, the typical awkwardness that you go through in middle school, high school mixed with being homeschool and at the time homeschooling being relatively new and everyone thinking, you know, what kind of weirdo is this? You know, your, your mom is a teacher, your dad's a principal, all of those kinds of jokes that, you know, kids would make uh, was just really making me go through all types of social anxiety. And, and on top of that, um, we were a very kind of high achieving household where there was great expectations for high academics and, you know, volunteering and music and sports, doing all of this at a very high level. All of that led to just an incredible amount of stress that I felt like I was always under. And uh, all of that eventually led me through a season of uh, feelings of wanting to, uh, you know, die. And I don't know if I would ever say that I would truly, you know, go forward with wanting to commit suicide. Again, that was by God's grace, but very much had those sorts of desires just as I was going through all of those emotions that I had. And so as I was, especially in the early stages of high school, feeling all those feelings of the various forms of pressure and anxieties and awkwardness, all of that, on top of them going through this Christian philosophy class in which this Christian teacher dismantled all of my beliefs about Christianity in three weeks, right? Again, not trying to literally slander the gospel, but just asking questions that I couldn't answer, right? What about this aspect of a trinity? How does this work with this aspect of theology? And, and being a younger high schooler, not knowing any of the answers, you know, really made me start to wonder, well, what do I think about the gospel, right? And is this true? And, and all of these dark feelings I'm wrestling with, how could I be feeling this if I thought I was a Christian or if God is real? But through all of this, again, um, the Lord was using that to refine me, right? It led me to many moments of just prayer at the middle of the night, you know, even crying to myself saying, Lord, I, I think you're real and based on your word and everything that I believed, but, you know, why do I feel this way? Why am I having these struggles and all these questions that I can't answer? Um, God, you know, make, make yourself known and real to me right? as I'm praying to you, as I'm reading your word. 
And uh, again, it's not that I had any kind of light bulb moment where suddenly everything clicked, but over that time of going through those trials and anxieties and much time in scripture and prayer in the church, um, the Lord again just gave me that confidence, right? That internal assurance from uh, what he said in scripture, that he indeed is the God of the universe, that Jesus Christ has come and died for my sins. And, and so as I look back at my early Christian life, it's not that I point to a single moment in which I say that's when I gave my life to Christ. It could have even been before and during all those struggles, I don't know for sure, but I do just know that through all of those ups and downs, eventually I did come to the point of saying, no, I, I know who Christ is. I know he's my savior who died on the cross for my sins and I'm living for him and what a joy that is. And so that was kind of my uh, earlier years. Uh, eventually, you know, went off to college. I was, again, born and raised in Southern California, but went to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, the University of Pittsburgh there. And again, you know, I never thought that I would be living on the East Coast, but at the time I thought that I would be a medical doctor. You know, I kind of pursued that for six years throughout, you know, kind of my whole adolescent period, getting ready for it, uh, going and thinking, I know 100% that I'm going to be a doctor and nothing's going to change that. And within the first semester, I thought, this is a terrible idea, right? <laughs> Everything suddenly switched, and I thought, I don't like this. I don't know what I'm doing here. And again, led to another sort of existential crisis, right? Being unsure about what I would pursue in the future, as you know, many college students are. And I think I had switched my major maybe three different times in the first year, just trying to figure out what on earth am I going to try to do or pursue. Uh, but again, the Lord was good and sovereign even through that. And eventually, uh, as I was thinking about various humanities and maybe pursuing a doctorate or PhD in one of those, I found myself more and more engaging in uh, our, our church or college ministry, uh, you know, leading Bible studies, teaching various things, you know, discipling guys and working through issues. And more and more, again, I, I came to this epiphany where I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm spending 50% of my time studying and the other 50% doing some type of ministry. And especially from my high academic background, that was unheard of, right? In fact, my parents probably would have been shocked or, or concerned if I told them that I was doing that. But I think that was just the process of me realizing how wonderful it is to be able to serve our king, right? To be able to help other people know him better and in whatever small or big ways that is to truly be able to uh, minister to people as well, right? Which is the joy of every single believer, as I think you even covered last week. And so... Through that process, through eventually uh, doing a season of full-time ministry in San Francisco, um, the Lord gave me this desire to say, you know, I, I don't know what the future has. I can't predict God's, you know, perfect sovereign plan, but if he would give me the joy and privilege of being able to serve full-time, I would love to be able to do that. And so that's how I eventually enrolled in the Master Seminary, where uh, I think many of us are familiar with, and that's where I, I had my uh, theological education for three years. And Again, you see the Lord's grace in all things. Um, even at that time, when, before I enrolled, I think I had, was accepted by four different seminaries, and I was kind of debating the, the pros and cons of each one. Uh, and the Master Seminary, as much as I agreed theologically with it, was actually at the bottom of my list for various reasons, but I ended up going there because I could save the most amount of money by living at home with my parents, right? And so again, when, when people would ask, why are you here? How did you come? said, well, it was the cheapest way for me to get my school, which often led to very shocked reactions. But the Lord used that, you know, even what at the time was not maybe the best desire, motivation in choosing even a seminary to bring me to a place that now I look back and I'm so grateful for to have that theological education that I did. And uh, eventually moved over to a church in Burbank, California. If some of you are familiar with maybe Universal Studios or Disney, it's kind of the media capital of the world where all of their studios are kind of in that area. Again, being able to minister to many individuals who were aspiring actors or people in the media world. This is a very different uh, focus than maybe many of us that have grown up in a very conservative type of church. But again, that was a joy. And the Lord really used a very a difficult circumstance of something that was happening at the church where eventually I, I came to the point of conviction that I have to resign because I can't support what some of the leadership were doing at that particular church. And it eventually led me to the point of having to say, okay, Lord, uh, what, what does the future hold? I, I don't know for sure, right? And because I was born and raised in California, my parents are from there. I love the area. 
Uh, that was my initial desire, was to stay there in Southern California. But as I continued to look and candidate and talk with churches, and either they said no or I said no to various churches, realized that it probably wasn't healthy to uh, uh, not work for many months, right? And so eventually began to broaden the scope of, of where I was looking at and candidating. And that's how I eventually found out about New Community. Right? As a, a Californian who spent many years flying to different parts of the country, I never ever thought we would move to Missouri. <laughs> it was always the flyover state where I could see on the, the little map where we were flying over. And I thought, hmm, I wonder who would ever live there. You know? uh, but the Lord was sovereign in bringing us to this church. Right? Again, now that we are here, absolutely love, not just you know, uh, St. Louis, but uh, just obviously new community and the church family that we have here. Um, in you know, God's grace, again, looking back five or 10 years, I would have never imagined right, that I would be living here. But now that we are here, right, we look back and say God's providence was, was wonderful and perfect in his timing and how he moved us around and, and all of that, uh, it really is a joy. And so, you know, being the pastor of Discipleship and Connections here, I have the privilege to help with various ministries which are seeking to move people in those directions, right? So in the discipleship area, that's with small group ministry, which is one of the key ways that, you know, as we're coming here on a Sunday morning, you're meeting all different kinds of people, right? We want those deep relationships as well. And so we have the small groups to connect people with smaller gatherings in which you're seeing the same people every other week and you can share prayer requests and the things that are really going on. Um, this is such a joy to be able to help to build that ministry. And so if you're not in a small group yet, um, please speak with me after. We'd love to connect you to make sure you're able to find a place to, to really know people and be known and serve. Uh, another one of those ministries are the equip classes, which are, as you know, the Sunday school classes we have here, in which meet every six weeks, and we have kind of a new rotation that uh, comes up after that. Uh, just the privilege to be able to oversee that and try to make sure that we're offering different classes which are going to equip the body in all different ways of Christian living. You know, we love expository preaching and how we can spend maybe 10 years in the Gospel of John. Who knows, right? We, we go in depth in all the different words and, and parts of grammar, but at the same time, we know that the challenges we experience in the Christian life are so great as well. And so that's why we have these equipped classes in this format. You say, hey, make sure you're learning about every different aspect of the Christian life, whether it's a book of the Bible uh, or an area of uh, life like, you know, forgiveness or, you know, just how do you think about justice biblically, all these different types of topics that we're covering right now. Uh, it really is a privilege to be able to help make sure that our body is being matured as we're going through those types of classes. And then, of course, with the connection side, it's um, helping with our sort of assimilation process here at the church with everything from our connect team that many of you have spoken with as you first come in to helping people go through the membership process and connect to ministries like Newcomer Night and Discovering NCC. And so even after this class, I have the privilege of, of following up with all of you who have finished four out of the six sessions. I'll talk about that a little bit at the end of thinking through what does it actually look like to become a member, just make sure any questions you have are answered. Um, but again, it really is a privilege to be able to serve in this kind of way. Just to say, okay, no matter who's coming in, if you're here for the first time or if you've been at the church for 10 years but have never you know, seriously considered what it means to be involved in a biblical manner, um, how can we use the various ministries and people in this church to build that culture of discipleship and growth? Right? It's not just the leaders or the pastors or the elders who do the work of ministry. As you see in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, it's the body right, that does the work of service, that builds up Christ's church. And so again, even a small way that's an encouragement, I would hope that all of you are able to consider that and, and find ways of really being able to plug into the church in whatever way you can. And just know that I would love to be a resource for that, as I can even explain a little bit over here. And uh, I mean, maybe one other detail, probably the most important detail besides my salvation, uh, is again, my wonderful wife, Cindy, uh, who unfortunately can't be here right now because I have to teach the class uh, in the next room, next service. So she's currently in the main service there. Um, but, you know, she's been my uh, helper, the better half, if you will, you know, as in the masculine in our household. And uh, just such a joy to be married to her. If you haven't had the chance to talk with her, please do. Because, again, she has an incredible testimony of how the Lord has worked in her life. And even her family's life, again, without spoiling too much, her uh, mom literally came over from Vietnam on a boat. It was one of those stories of getting on this random boat, not knowing where it's going to go, but just wanting to escape to a different country. 
And, uh, you know, literally the, the boat sank as they were getting onto a new boat that was rescuing them, right? So you would see God's providence and, and grace even there. And uh, again, she's gone through so much even medically with various health things. She almost died through a stroke when she was younger. And uh, sometimes if you see her walking around in a brace, uh, just know that's not a temporary thing that's actually permanent. Uh, she always has that as part of uh, the, the lasting paralysis that you know, took place. But you know, even she would be able to share that it was God's grace using that suffering and that trial to refine her, to bring her to where she is today. Right, that there's various aspects. As God uses in all of our trials, to, uh, he uses the suffering of what she went through to help her see her need for a savior, right? to see the pride and, and all the various sins that she wasn't even aware of. God used that trial for her good. And uh, she would love to be able to share more you know, if you ever talk to her. So that's just a little bit about us. You know, We're now here for about a year and a half. I live over towards the Wolf Cafe, if you guys have ever been there. And uh, we love good food and good board games. So if you're ever interested in any of those, let us know. Uh, we'll love to treat you out for a meal or a coffee or anything like that. So, uh, so that's just a little bit about our story. Um, I always, this always feels weird to do, but are there any questions about you know, our background, anything else we can elaborate on? Yeah, Anna. So at what point did you feel like you had assurance in your salvation? Oh, that's a great question. <coughs> so I would say, um, the strongest assurance, you know, especially through all that up and down period was probably maybe sophomore, junior year of high school. You know, part of it was, uh, you know, the balance of knowing the negative emotions that I'm feeling, right? Whether it's the feelings of depression or suicide, whatever that may be, but knowing that that always has to be contrasted with what does God's word say is objectively true, right? And going through the balance of regardless of how I'm feeling in this moment, I know that God's word never changes, right? And so if he is saying indeed that it's by faith in Christ alone, right? By grace, we're saved. And if I'm truly trusting in Jesus, which I am, then regardless of how I'm feeling, right? I know that I can hold on to those principles as being true. And so I think, you know, again, it wasn't a specific moment, but as I came through that process of learning to trust more and more in the truth of God's word, regardless of what my feelings were in quotes telling me, and that's where I think the assurance of faith came from. And yeah, we can definitely talk more about that if you want after. But, yeah. Any other questions that come to mind? Yeah, William. Uh, what was the name of that church um, that you left? Uh, I'd rather not say, but uh, for, yeah. no, no, I, I totally understand. And again, not that I, I could not share it, but um, you know, they're watching, right? So you have to be careful. Uh, yeah. What were the other seminaries you were looking at? Yeah, um, so one of them would have been Westminster in Philadelphia, um, you know, very strong biblical counseling background there, uh, you know, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, right, which was kind of a very well-known institution on the academic side, and then uh, Gordon-Conwell, you know, more so because of the, the Tim Keller connection, but uh, yeah, so for various reasons, ended up coming back home to, you know, California, Grace Community Church, Master Seminary, and I'm uh, very grateful that I was there, so. Okay, great. I would rather not talk about myself. So thank you for entering that there. Uh, so today we are covering uh, the last session of this whole Discovering NCC class. I, I hope and trust that it's been very helpful as you've been here the last five or so weeks. I know when we were first, you know, broadening these classes from what was at the time, I think three or four weeks and then six weeks, you know, Doug and I were having many conversations about how do we make sure uh, we're giving as much helpful material as possible. And I think this last section of the class that we've been going through, which is how do you love the church well, is one of those areas that we thought, hey, it would be great to really focus on and expound more upon. And I, I think if you've been here, right, we've covered many topics. Uh, what is the church, right? And we understand that our mission is, as we hear from new communities, to bring glory to God, make disciples, and share God's love with the community, right? That is what hopefully every church is about, is making disciples, making God known, not living for us, but living for him. We, of course, went through the, the commitment to unity, right? So understanding the importance of doctrine, uh, first tier, second tier, third tier issues, understanding where our church, new community stands and various things, but knowing what are the, the primary things in which every single believer must affirm and, and believe in order to be a true believer. And then what are those secondary or tertiary doctrines that believers can disagree on and still worship and serve together? 
Uh, we went through the, the commitments of the reputation of Christ, which is the importance of being willing to address sin, right? That we need each other in this battle that we cannot live just on our own, but uh, we have the believers that are working through and exhorting us to be able to uh, grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, we went over the commitment to being led and that all of us need to be able to be humble and receive input from the elders and other men and women that none of us ever get to a place in life in which we say, I have arrived and therefore no one can tell me what to do, right? Every single person needs that humble spirit of saying, how can I always learn from people that are pointing me to God's word? And as we covered last week and today, uh, we looked at the importance of committing to love the church, uh, which is the various ways of getting involved in service. Uh, we saw the importance of knowing how to practice and live out the one another's. And really the, the focus of last week's class is understanding that once you're part of the church, you're not supposed to be thinking about me anymore, right? You know, many times as Pastor Rich will even talk about today, it's easy to walk into church and think, how am I going to be served today? What benefit am I going to get today? But the Christian life is all about seeking to truly love others, you know, serve others in the many forms that we have. And I think we'll talk about it at the end, but that's why we have many of the ministries that are here at the church. And again, one of my joys is being able to help people get connected to some of those ministries. And so if you're not yet serving, please talk with me sometime today or this week, and we'd love to be able to see where we can plug you into an area of service, right? We're, we're called to love the church by serving in many formal and informal ways. And today what we're doing is covering the last part of what does it mean to love the church, uh, which is, I think, as you're seeing in page 12, is the importance of our giving as well, uh, financially supporting what's going on in the church as God calls us to. And I'll say this first off, I am not the money guy. Uh, it's not like I love preaching or teaching on the importance of financial giving. It is biblical, which is why, of course, we want to address it. But that's not why I'm here, you know, just happened to fall on this particular day. But again, this is a very helpful and important section of scripture that we can look at uh, because that's what we're called to do as the church is as part of our service is financially serving the Lord through the funds that he's given us here. And I think a couple things that are important to know, we can go through some of those number points on your sheet in just a second, but just a couple things to mention, right? We understand that the giving that we do in the church should never be just this sort of religious obligation, right? You're just saying, well, I'm being told to do it, so I'm going to do it even though I, I hate doing it. Uh, you know, th that's not the motivation at all, right? But how is it that we're called to serve the Lord through our financial offerings and serving to Him? It is from a spirit of worship and joy. Right? I think what's referenced many times there is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And one of those areas you see is especially in verse 7 there, where, you know, the way that we're called to actually serve the church is through a, a heart of joy. Right? We understand what it is that God has done in our lives, right? the many ways in which he's come and, and helped us through the gift of salvation. And from there, we then say, Lord, how then can I serve you? Right? Knowing that he has given us literally everything possible. Right? You see in Ephesians 1, he's given us every spiritual blessing right? in the heavenly places. If he's truly given us everything, then there's no amount that we can give back to him that would ever even come close, right? That's, of course, the joy of salvation, right? That we've done nothing. We can never do anything to earn forgiveness. And yet God has chosen to extend that to us. And so the heart behind our giving is that in which we are saying, Lord, you have given us everything. Praise be your name, right? When I'm giving you this you know, resource, whether it's through a check or with the app or whatever means it is, you're saying, Lord, this is only a small way of saying thank you and worshiping him. Right? That needs to be the heart behind our giving to him. Right? You see in another passage, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, it's right there it's saying, make sure that the rich, which if we're living in America, I think we fall in that category, you know, don't put your trust in the resources that you have here, but be ready and willing to be generous and share with other people. The heart posture that every single believer needs to have is one saying, you know, the, the resources, the financial resources we have, they don't belong to me, right? They're not something that I can hold on to and say, this is mine and no one can tell me what to do. But we need to have this heart posture in which we are saying, Lord, how can I now serve not only you, but your people as well through the resources that you have given me here? Right? And again, we don't have time to look at those passages in depth, but I would highly encourage you to read these over time to understand, are these the postures that I'm having in my own heart here? 
But as I'm thinking about just what does it mean to give of the Lord even financially, you know, are you falling into sort of these spiritual traps of, well, it's just a duty I need to do and I'm not going to think about it. Or, well, you know, they're trying to take my money, all that kind of stuff. And yes, there are those which are uh, spiritual false teachers, which they are just trying to sift money from people. And that's something to be aware of. But when you're in a, a biblically healthy church, the heart posture should be one of service and care and love for other people, right? That needs to be where our hearts are in. Uh, one or two other notes just to make mention of. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people use the, the phrase tithing, right? Like, oh, we need to tithe in our church. And I, I think Doug might have explained this, but, you know, where we, where we stand as a church is that we wouldn't use the term tithing uh, because that was something found in the Old Testament period, right? You have the people of Israel who were God's uh, physical nation, right, in that time and place in which they have a practice known as tithing for various reasons. But uh, I think where we would say this as you transition into the New Testament period, right, now we are no longer under the Mosaic law and covenant, we understand that the importance is not tithing, but it's actually just a heart which desires to give unto the Lord, right? And so that's why we wouldn't say there's a certain percentage that you should give or a certain number uh, in which you do see in Israel for various groups of people. But instead we say, no, the, the focus is, as we've said, the heart of service and generosity. So uh, some people have questions about that. One other thing before we get into this list over here, we understand that money is something which can so often control people's lives, right? And whether that's the pursuit of money when you don't have it or if you get to a stage in life where you eventually have it, just wanting to hold on to it and earn as much as you can or buy things which then reflect a certain level of status, you know, money can so easily control our lives, right? And that's why we have in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus is saying, you know, no one can serve two masters, right? You will either serve money or you will serve him. And so that doesn't mean that you can't be wise in how you're seeking to steward the resources you have, but we need to be very careful, right? That in our thoughts about how we're using and stewarding the, the resources that God has given us, we don't become those people that say, this is mine, right? I need to have it no matter what. Make sure as we're watching and examining our hearts, we say, yes, be wise in how we're stewarding it. But God, are you the king of my heart and life or is money the king of my heart and my life, right? So that's just something that's really important to watch out for. Okay. Uh, all of that's free. Uh, let's go ahead and look at the uh, handouts that you have there. I think we have listed it's seven or so different principles related to how we should be thinking about serving and loving the Lord through our, our giving. Oh, yes, uh, Ed. Uh, we don't have a handout. Oh, I'm sorry. So this, uh, it's, it's not the hand. It's actually the uh, NCC booklets. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, do you have that with you? or? No. Okay. Uh, it looks like Zepha has a copy. Okay. So that's great. So thank you so much for... Thank you. Um, yeah, so we'll be on page 12 there. And, uh, did you get one earlier on in the we class? Came late. Okay. That's we started in the third class. Ah, I see. Yeah, uh, yeah. so we can make sure, uh, maybe talk with me later, and we'll, we'll make sure to get you a booklet so you can read through it. Yeah, I don't know if they have a sign Oh, um, so I don't, but what I'll do is at the end of the class, please don't leave, you know, as you're starting to get hungry. I'll, I'll go ahead and take attendance on, on our, our church app, so we'll do it that way. Um, okay, so great. You should have that there. And again, so when I teach my classes, I love to have more interaction, even if it makes people a little bit uncomfortable, but it helps everyone to get involved. So I think what we'll do is, as we're reading each of these points, we'll just go through kind of line by line in the rows and have all of us read as, as part of that. So maybe we'll start with Chris, and then, you know, you can take the first one. You know, Linda, you can take the second one, and we'll just kind of go, oh, and there's Joe already uh, running away. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so we'll start here and kind of work our way through. Yeah. Okay. So, if, uh, Chris, you can go ahead and read from that number one. Yeah. We'll, we'll give a second for everyone to settle down. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. You got it. Get our glasses out. Yes, of course. Reading glasses. And pandemonium has already started as soon as we have to read. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. I love it, Mike. <laughs> All right, so we'll go ahead and start with the prior consecration. All right, prior consecration, an irrevocable devotion to God, his word, and his purposes. Mm. 2 Corinthians 8, 
Good. And again, unfortunately, for time's sake, we can't read all of those verses, but please go back and take a second to read through them. I'll, I'll mention that several times, but we only have so much time in these hours or so times together, right? So, so much of truly having the right heart requires our own personal work and study, but um, please go ahead and read those later. What you're seeing in that section of 2 Corinthians is that Paul is again endorsing and praising the Macedonians for what they've done. And what you're seeing there is that, you know, they're giving was actually the result or the fruit of their relationship with Christ. The reason that they were so willing to um, be giving of their resources was stemming from who they were following, which was Jesus. And so, again, this is this calling to the importance that when we are seeking to give, it needs to start with that prior consecration, right? Our, our giving is not devoid or disconnected from our relationship with Christ. It has to be the fruit of that, right? Again, not just empty religious rituals, but Lord, I am serving you in all things. And so one of the ways I do that is with my giving. Okay, we have our, our second principle. Sacrificial giving. Giving from your surplus is not <coughs> sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving costs you something. Mm -hmm. Corinthians 8, 3 through 5 and 9. Mm, very good. Right, so as we're thinking about how is it that we give to the Lord, again, we're not looking at a specific number, but if we're, again, going to the principle of the heart, it's how are we seeking to give of the Lord in which it's truly showing, well, I'm not just giving you my bits and pieces, right? Let's say you and I were talking and I said, hey, Ed, um, here's a gift from me, right? This little paper clip. It, it cost me absolutely nothing. I literally found it right here. It could be thrown on the floor and, and it would mean nothing to any of us, right? If I were to give any of you that, it, it's not truly something that's meaningful. Right? And so the way that we actually serve the Lord is a sense in which we're willing to give uh, to the point in which it really is showing, hey, I'm giving a substantial portion of what I have to the Lord. Right, that's why you have that story in Luke 21 where you hear of the poor widow, right? Your people were going into the temple and, and giving various amounts of offerings. And she just puts in those two small copper coins. And Jesus says what? This woman has given more than all of them, right? Because she is giving from what she had. And again, it all stems back from the heart. It's the willingness to say, Lord, regardless of how much I have, I'm willing to give of you. And so that's why if you're a billionaire, doesn't matter if you're giving, let's say, tens of thousands of dollars. If it's literally not costing you anything, then it's a reflection of the heart. And we have a third point here as well. I'm glad I'm not 19. I wouldn't be able to read this. Oh, yeah. Need response giving. When a genuine need is made known, the believers understands that faithful stewardship requires giving towards that need. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you don't have to read all those verses. <laughs> I know okay, it's quite I'm a sorry, few there. I'm proud of it. Yes, no, thank you, Ed. And again, please go back and read them. Um, but what is, again, a loving response of a true believer is that we're saying, you know, once we're part of a church family, we have this desire to actually care for one another. Right? And so as you're hearing about various needs, it doesn't mean that you're required to literally spend money to help with every single one. But as you have relationships and as you're hearing about people that have struggles, you, know, you have this desire that says, how can I in some sense help? Right? And that can take a number of, of, um, of, of ways. For instance, you know, we have that meals ministry. And so as people are in the hospital or, or recovering from an injury, you know, there are people that say, I would love to be able to serve my brother or sister by spending money and making them a meal and delivering it, right? So it can take a number of, of forms, but it's that willing to actually help people as we're seeing needs in the church body. That's what a healthy Christian and church member looks like. Okay, we have number four. Saving and reaping. The idea here is that if you give generously and in faith, I will increase your ability to give even more. Mm -hmm. Right, and so this is helpful to know that this is a general principle. It's not this kind of dogmatic axiom. Uh, this principle, as you're looking at Luke 6.38 and 2 Corinthians, can be often misunderstood and misused by especially prosperity teachers, where they say, oh, give me this amount of money, and God will so bless you, and you will get 10 times the amount, right? There are literally those false teachers that will say stuff like that of, I had a vision from the Lord that you need to give $300, and if you do, you will get $3,000 know, back. That's not the principles that you see here about reaping and sowing. But what the, the principle is, is that as we are seeking to give of the Lord, he will indeed always bring spiritual blessings far beyond that to us, right? So we never say that it's going to be a financial type of gain, right? You give X amount and you get twice that amount back. 
But it's this notion that as we are seeking to give of the Lord, as we are sowing you know, these spiritual seeds of our obedience to Him, the Lord will always bring that sense of blessing in various forms, right? And in the Macedonians case, for instance, right, they were giving of their poverty. It's not that they were getting right, a bunch of money back. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians is they got great joy out of that, right? So again, it's this principle that we don't know how the Lord will uh, bring things and blessings back to us in response to our giving, but we understand that God does bless us in some way right, as we're seeking to obey him. Okay, we have uh, principle number five. Uh, predetermined giving. God glorifying giving is a result of careful planning and prayerful preparation. It flows from the inward resolve rather than an impulsive decision making. Mm -hmm. Good. Right, so again, going back to that passage in 2 Corinthians, we need to make sure we are doing it from a heart which wants to honor and worship the Lord. Right, so I think there's, there's kind of two things that we'd want to avoid there. One is where you're thinking, well, I've had no desire. I suddenly feel a guilt trip from this pastor, this person preaching. So, you know, here, I'm, I'm going to, you know, give you this money. That, that's not the motivation that should lead to a proper Christian life, right? And so this is just saying, make sure you're taking the time to saying, Lord, I know that I'm doing this with the right heart motive. I want to serve and honor you. And that's why I'm giving you whatever this amount is going to be. And I would, you know, give one other challenge here. Uh, this is something I have to personally watch for, where my entire life is on auto pay, right? I, I know generally how much is going to all of these various subscriptions and, and budget costs and, you know, all the, the expenses that you have living and, and owning a house. And honestly, I don't really look at my, my bank statements. I probably should more to make sure things are generally going okay, but I generally know how much I'm spending and it just sort of always works out. I'm not endorsing that as a general principle. I know it works for me and my family. Um, the problem with that though, right, is even my financial giving to the church is on auto pay, where I know generally it's always the first of the month and there's a certain amount that goes out. And that way, even if I forget about it, I know that I'm still giving to the Lord. Let me ask you, what's the danger in that? What do you guys think? Yeah, it's becoming ritualistic. That's the danger. Yeah, Yvonne? I never consider more. Okay, yes, right, yeah. So maybe I should be giving more in certain seasons. Yeah? Yeah, uh, okay. I, I think sometimes we lose our sense of worship from giving. Yes, yeah, exactly, Emerson, right? So, so much of that can just become the thoughtless routine, right? And there's literally been months at a time where I thought, wait a second, have I actually stopped and said, Lord, as we are giving you this, it is an act of worship. And so that's one of the other dangers, right? Some people will just not give at all, which again would be disobedience to what the Lord calls us. But if you're not giving with that right motivation, that too is false spirituality. And so that's where this you know, principle comes from. As we're thinking about it, make sure it is intentional. That, yes, God, I do want to give this to you for this reason. Yeah, Holly. Yes, yeah. And, um, but I know there's sometimes envelopes there, but sometimes there aren't. Mm -hmm. So how do you get these envelopes? That is a great question. <laughs> yes, again, because I'm on auto pay, I actually don't know. <laughs> yes, I right. I really know what I'm writing. Yes, about. yes, and you want to be intentional with and that, so, of course. You really get a focus on what's mm -hmm. happening in it. Anyway, I'm just saying sometimes yeah. they're envelopes. Sometimes I make my own envelopes. Okay, yes. No, I, I, I'm sure we might have them. Uh, let me talk with Sarah and get back to you on that. Yeah. Because sometimes it's when you go into the sanctuary, there's uh -huh. a black box there. I right. For, for whatever, because that's what oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be bad if that was her trash can and she's just dropping it in there. But uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to follow up and, and talk so about that. Of course, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there is a way. And yeah, we wouldn't just want to say, well, give it to me and I'll make sure we, we have it for that reason. So, okay, yeah, so that's a great question. So we have predetermined giving to make sure we're doing it with the right worshipful heart. Uh, then we have number six. Faith-based giving. God will supply all you have need of out of your willingness to give in faith. Mm -hmm. Right, so you think about even, you know, Matthew 6, right, 33. Like, See first, you know, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's just the importance that as we are seeking to give, we're making sure even if it is costing us something, we have that sense of trust in God, right? Lord, I know that you will provide me with my needs, not my wants. 
So even as I'm seeking to give, I know that things will work out, you know, even financially. Yeah. A little story about that. When I was first saved, I was just giving all my, I had money now, you know, I was spending it on drugs. So um, I'd work, I'd get a check, and I was giving everything to the Lord. All my money I would give to the Lord. Then it came time to make out, pay bills that I had. And I was going to write, and I made, my checkbook was empty. I had one more bill for $15 back when things were $15. <laughs> and uh, it was like $15. I don't have any more money in the checking. I paid all the bills. I need $15. And guess there was no discipline in my life. I didn't know. I just mm -hmm. was just so turned on by Jesus Christ saving my life and changing me. And now a phone call. I answered the phone, and they said, hey, is Terry there? And I said, no, Terry's not here. I'm here. And he said, do you know anything about basketball? Yeah, I play basketball. But I really didn't know anything about it. I just played it. And he said, well, I need a referee. It pays $5 a game, and I got three games. Hmm. And it's tonight, right? Okay. Uh, said, yeah. The only thing I remember out of that whole night was at the end of the basketball game, uh -huh. a guy getting right in my face, yelling at me, saying, that was a moving screen. I mean, mm -hmm. his eyes were open. You know, right. I was just like, whoa. Right. You know, I don't even know what a moving screen is. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I collected my $15 to put it in the mm -hmm. bank and wrote out. Yeah. All right, well, and that's a, a wonderfully encouraging story, Ed, right? But the following week, or mm -hmm. the following month, the money I was given, the World Vision, I got sponsored four kids and mm -hmm. all that, they stopped coming. Hmm. All of a sudden, the Lord's like, man, i got to teach this guy from scratch. Okay. Well, yeah, again, there's many yeah. principles related to how you, how you do that wisely. But, yeah, thank wisely. you for sharing that. Yeah, so we understand that, you know, it's the desire to say, Lord, you know, before I'm even considering other expenses, I want to make sure that I'm serving and worshiping you through this, right? And so, again, I'm not saying it's a specific number based on different circumstances. Obviously, there's many principles of wisdom to consider. But it's saying, do we have that heart of faith? Right, saying that when I seek to give of you, even if I know, right, it's going to leave me with a couple question marks, but how will certain things work? Do we trust the Lord enough to believe that he will give us our needs? And again, that's not our wants, right? Sometimes you have, you know, um, $10,000 of uh, credit card debt and various things where you're saying, I don't know how I can give to the Lord when I have this and my six Netflix subscriptions and, and all of these things, right? So there are principles of wisdom to consider as well. But it all stems also from here. Do we have this heart of true faith and how we are seeking to give to the Lord? Okay, uh, last one, number seven. Systematic proportionate giving. Biblical giving is based on one's financial blessing and should be offered on a constant basis. Mm, right, so you can look at 1 Corinthians 16 later on. But again, going to the nature of the heart means that it's not about a number. Right? We're asking ourselves, are we giving in such a way in which we know it's not just something that can be thoughtless, but we're saying, God, this is something that can be, in whatever term that is, significant, and I'm giving this back to you as a form of worship. So these are some principles to consider. Um, I know for time's sake, we can't really go in depth with each of these. Right? You can have a whole sermon on each one. I would just encourage you with along all these other pages Take some time to read through it right? and really just, you know, pray to the Lord saying, God, is this really my heart? Right? If you, let's say you have been giving, right? Say, are, am I doing this in this type of scripturally honest way in which I know I'm pleasing you and not just doing it kind of out of empty uh, ritual? Or if you're not giving at all, right? What, what's the reason for that? And, you know, are you growing in this desire to honor the Lord in every single way you see in scripture, including even here? So here are some principles to think about. Just to kind of summarize this whole section on commitment to love the church, right? We have what we've covered so far. We have what we had last week. This is the Christian life, right? It's so easy to get caught up in this ritual of go to church, maybe go to a Sunday school because you know it's the right thing to do, but you're not truly seeking to serve God or serve other people, right? And so just always be praying, how am I growing in this desire here? Um, did, uh, did Doug read from Romans 12, 10 to 13 last week? Was that referenced at all? Yeah. It was? Okay, well, that's really good. So let me just read it again because this captures the heart of this whole section here. Right, Paul says in Romans 12, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. 
Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, right? All of these things about how are you seeking to love God and love other people? This is the commitment that a believer should have, right? And that's why we have it as part of the, the membership commitments. Are we saying, Lord, as I'm here, am I seeking to be a self-focused Christian or an others-focused Christian, right? That's how all of us are seeking to be able to grow. Okay, uh, we have some more sections to get to. Any questions about uh, what we've covered there so far? You guys have already asked good questions, so it's fine if there's nothing. But... Okay, we'll go ahead and move on, and we'll see what time we have left. So here's the question, right? Now uh, this is on page 13. Uh, what, is it actually, what is actually required to become a church member? Uh, you know, if you've been able to come here and attended four out of the six classes, with some exceptions, which we'll talk about, and you're ready to move forward in the process, there are really two basic things that you have to be able to affirm or consider uh, in order to become a member. And I think they're listed on your page. The first one, of course, is have you placed your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, right? Which is very simple. Are you truly a Christian and a believer, right? Uh, again, everyone, non-believers are welcome to be, to be uh, coming to a new community. We want people to be here. And if you're not a believer, we're so glad that you're here. But of course, right, part of truly being a part of the church is that you're saved, right? That you know Jesus salvifically. And so part of the process with the elder interview is trying to get a sense of, you know, are you truly born again, right? Do you truly know Jesus in a saving way? not just in this kind of mental academic way. And so those are parts of the questions is, you know, what is the gospel? You know, why do you think you're saved? You know, how did you become saved? Those types of questions, not because it's going to be this sort of ritualistic, you know, check off all these boxes and you're good. But again, are you truly a believer? I think about one case I heard about years ago. There was this pastor who had been preaching at this church for Many years, I forget the number, but, you know, he and his wife had been married for, I think, 20 years or so. And uh, it was on one Sunday morning as he's preaching to the congregation, and, you know, it talks about the nature of the gospel, that the wife somehow suddenly realized she wasn't saved. And it was in that moment, right, as her husband is preaching, that she gave her life to Christ. Now, obviously, there's a lot of questions about that, right? <laughs> you know, how do you get to that state? What were those, you know, dinner conversations like? But it really gets to the point that, you know, you could go to church for so many years, going to Bible studies, uh, even teaching things, right? But if you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, or you've had this wrong understanding of what it is, that somehow it's possible to slip under the radar, right? And so this is just, you know, making sure, are you actually a Christian in the full sense of what that means of knowing the truths of, you know, needed for salvation, but also living for Christ with him being your Lord. And then the, the second major or general requirement, right, is to be able to say yes to the membership questions that we have, right? So we're going to go through these together. Again, we'll continue in our reading. So I think next, you know, will be Joe. Um, but, you know, as we're going through this, right, what I want you to understand, we're not trying to ask you to follow and do arbitrary things. As you're looking at each one of these questions that, you know, you will be asked when you're up there on the stage, these are just marks of a biblically healthy believer, right? You'll see that there are verses which call Christians to practice each one of these things, right? And so that's why we have them here. It's not arbitrary. It's just trying to say these are the marks of a healthy church member, a, a Christian. And so do you really understand what they are? And are you willing to practice them as much as you can, right? So as we're going through each one of these, I can explain a little bit, but then just make sure that you're really thinking about this yourself. Okay, so you can start with Joe. Will you be diligent to exercise self-control so that your lifestyle exhibits both true Christian love and personal holiness? Right? So as a believer, it's not just that, hey, once saved, always saved. I've prayed a prayer, and now I never have to worry about anything ever again. You know, yes, we are saved by grace and that there's nothing we can do to earn it. But so much of the Christian life post-salvation is the willingness to always grow in our obedience and devotion to the Lord. Right? Every single day saying, God, I know that I can't earn my salvation, but because I so love you, I want to become like you. Right? That's like in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I, I want to be conformed to the image of who God is in Jesus Christ. And so we always want to be diligent, as it says, to exercise self-control so we're growing in Christian love and holiness. 
uh, Christians will always take extremes of it's all grace, never do anything, or it's all legalism, check every single box. You know, we do neither of those things. But as we know Christ, is how can we truly honor him in our lifestyle? Okay. And then the second question. Mm-hmm, right? So we've alluded to this too. It's not enough to just come to church, you know, once a week or once a month and say, hey, I've done my Christian job. I'm good, right? We're called to be involved in this local body, right? We're called to gather regularly. And so that's why one of the things it's not explicitly stated, but it's implicit is that, you know, we would want you to obviously be at the church as much as you can be, you know, understanding there's going to be vacation and illnesses and various things. But as the pattern of your life, are you here or are you absent, right? You know, it's, it's not good for a person to say, yes, new community church is my home, but then we haven't seen this person for like three months, right? That doesn't make any sense. You know, are we willing to make sure we are faithfully assembling and then practice all the things that we've talked about in these last two weeks? Not being selfish in our presence, but selfless, right? Serving people well. All right, we have the next question then. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, we consistently contribute as a good steward of God's blessing. Such time, talent, and resources is a measure that God prospers you so that our local and worldwide ministry is spreading the gospel and making mm-hmm, Right? So as you're thinking about how you're gathering, right, are you, again, seeking to serve in every single possible way that you can? It's not just your resources, as we talked about financial giving. But it's your time, it's your talents, it's the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Are you saying, Lord, I want to use all of who I am to serve your kingdom, right? That's the heart that we need to have. Okay, and we have the next question. Will you teach biblical truth to your family and acquaintances as God gives you opportunity with a desire to see them come to trust Jesus Christ and be saved? Good. The Christian life is not just, I want to hear a million sermons until I die, right? Yes, we want to learn. You want to be well-informed. You want to go to Bible studies. But the other half of the Christian life, again, is the other's mindedness, right? And so part of the Christian life is teaching the truth of God's word, right? If you're a parent with your kids, right? So it's not just, hey, I send my kids to the youth group. They're getting trained and discipled. They're done and good. But it's how are you seeking to disciple and care for them as their main shepherds in that time and season, Right? As you're having family who are then grown, as you have friends and acquaintances, are you really seeking to minister to other people with the truth of God's word? And right? we want to be careful because I know many of us maybe came to new community because you want solid biblical teaching, which is great. Right? Praise God for that and that we can be a church that's promoting the truth of God's word, but it's not enough to just learn. Right? We need to seek to help others with the truth that we then know and understand. Okay, We have the next point. Well, um, would you always be willing to both give and receive admonition and instruction with meekness and in love? Hmm, right, so this is very much connected to the teaching part. Right? As we're engaged in the Christian life, we are going to realize that not everyone's perfect, <laughs> right? Maybe you've come to that realization now. You know, maybe you're still in the honeymoon period, but we understand that every single one of us is a sinner with great and deep flaws some of which we understand right now, some of which you don't see and you won't know until other people see it. But so much of the Christian life is the willingness to, in your relationships, in a small group, in a, in a Bible study, as you're really knowing people, being willing both to give and receive admonition and instruction, right? As you're seeing something in a brother's life saying, hey, I, I've noticed this pattern. I'm like, what do you think about that? Right? Again, doing it in love in a charitable way, but then also being willing to receive that as well. Now, some people love having the gift of correction, right? They're so willing to point out every single flaw in other people, but as soon as you bring up one flaw, they're done. Right? They get defensive. They put up all the walls, making all kinds of excuses. That's not a healthy Christian, right? So a healthy Christian life is a willingness to, as we're seeing issues in believers' lives, say, hey, brother or sister, you know, I, I want to tell you about something, right? Help them, but then also be humble enough to be helped by other people as well. Okay, and number six. Will you, will you commit to praying for the ministry here in this church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the elders, pastors, the deacons, and for the lost who need the, who need the Savior? 
Yeah. So again, the, the tricky part is we can get so focused on scripture, knowing scripture, studying scripture, teaching scripture, that we have no prayer life, right? And, and that's not healthy. Um, not that I want to go on a whole monologue, but as you're thinking about the means of grace or things that a believer should be engaged in, I would say scripture and prayer is really a 50-50, right? And I know even in my own life, it can default to so much reading and study, but not, you know, praying enough. But, you know, what we need as a healthy believer is the willingness to actively pray, not just for our own needs, but for the needs, the helps, the struggles of other people, which are all the different groups of those who are in the church, right, who need prayer, but then also outside of the church. Right? And so hopefully as you're engaging in the lives of believers here, as you're knowing people's issues and hardships, you're willing to say, yeah, let me actually pray for you. I, I think the problem that we often see is, uh, you know, you can have those religious cultures of, I'll pray for you, brother, right? Or, oh, let me, let me help you with that. But you don't actually mean it, right? Or we don't actually mean it. And so we want to be careful that we are intentional to engage in praying for those that are in the church as much as we can. Okay, we have number seven. Will you follow the servant leadership of the elders as they submit to and follow Christ so they may keep watch over your souls with joy and not with grief? Yeah, and so this again goes to the spirit of humility, right? It's never that an elder is going to come to you and say, give me $10,000 or, you know, something crazy like that. It's always as the elders are pointing you to the truth of Scripture, but it's going to this heart posture of humility. Are you willing to, as someone is coming up to you and saying, this is a truth of God's word that you are not listening to and you have to repent, right? You need to turn away from the sinful way of life. Are you going to be willing to listen to that? It's never that, hey, I need to listen to these arbitrary statements from people, but are you willing to listen to the elders or other people as they're pointing you to the truth of God's word, right? That humble heart of submission, okay? We have number eight. Strive to maintain the doctrinal unity of this church, not promoting positions that differ with what we teach. Yeah, so again, knowing the difference between first tier, second tier, third tier doctrine. Are you willing, even if you have differences in those second or third tier issues, to say, yes, these are areas in which godly Christians can disagree. We're literally doing a class on biblical justice right now where we're talking about that. But are you willing to say, even in those areas, if there's a strong disagreement, for the sake of the unity of the church, I don't need to make this my, my hobby horse, right? And, you know, things from, uh, you know, whether it's modes of baptism, eschatology, you know, the spiritual gifts, things like that, Christians can disagree for various reasons. Like, we do understand there are reasons that people have, you know, gone back and forth. But, you know, we're just saying a, a healthy Christian is not going to make that their beating drum. Like, everyone needs to be on me with this particular third-tier issue, right? I, I think that... Having a, t a tattoo is a sin, and I'm not going to accept someone as a brother or sister unless they affirm that too, right? The heart of a believer is to say, okay, I know what is the first tier doctrine, those things which make us a believer, we affirm and hold to that. In the other areas, we're willing to be deferential, right? If it's going to be differing with the views of our church here. Okay, so I know that's a lot. Again, I'm trying to cover as much as we can in a, in a short amount of time. But again, I would encourage you, take time this week to really read through this. Um, one of the, the things that I'm so concerned about, I'm not saying this always happens, is that people will get up there and then just hear these things said and say, I do, yes, right, w without even thinking about it. But if this is truly the mark of a healthy Christian, we need to be thoughtful, right? We need to think about what we're actually saying. And so take time this week to read each one of these. Am I doing this? Or am I willing to start doing this, right? Or are there ones where you're saying, mm, I really don't know about this one, but I really want to serve in this ministry, so I'm going to say yes. That's not a healthy posture to have, right? So make sure you're being thoughtful as we reflect on these statements here. Right? And so just know that, you know, Lord willing, when you're standing up there, uh, that is what you will be saying yes to. And make sure you're able to do it with a clear conscience that this is something that I'm actually affirming. And, you know, I would say if you have any, you know, struggles about these, please feel free to talk with Doug or myself, right? I understand that people come from different church backgrounds where maybe some of these, as you're going through this class, you're saying, I have never thought about this before, you know, talk with us, right? We would love to help you think through some of these issues so that, you know, you are saying yes with a clear conscience and you are truly doing it in a spirit of wanting to worship and serve the Lord. Okay, uh, let's wrap up with the last couple of bits here. We're, we're almost done. All right, so this is still on page 13. Uh, let's talk about the final steps as you're moving on from here. 
can think about this as graduation day, right? You're, you're getting ready and time to give you your diplomas and a hat and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so the first part, as, as you know, is to complete the membership class, right? And as we've said, that, that means four out of the six sessions. We're not trying to be legalistic about it, but it's hard if you've barely heard anything to say, yeah, of course I affirm everything that's being taught. Right, so do what you can to you know, make sure you have attended all of those. And I think Doug has probably said this, but it, let's say there is a case where somehow you've only made three for various reasons. You know, Doug will sometimes meet with a person on a one-on-one -on -one or a two-by-two -two basis to explain some of the material that you missed. But as much as possible, it's just saying, hey, have you really heard you know, what we are as a church, what we're about? So you can affirm with a good heart, yes, I do want to be here. And so assuming that you have finished at least four of the sessions, or in some cases three with an extra session with Doug, uh, then you're ready to actually go through the official steps, right? So the first thing you see there is to fill out the membership application. And something that we'll have to update on there is, is also doing the ministry service form. So basically the, the membership app, you know, you have the QR code in the back of your little booklets there. It's just everything about your testimony, your background, so that way, excuse me, when you're going through your interview, right, there's, you know, a material that the elder can read beforehand so they understand, you know, your story. And so you just want to be able to fill that out. The second part is the service form, or we call it the ministry opportunities form. And again, both of those are on the church app. I can show you that later if you want. But that's just saying, hey, as a healthy believer, I need to get involved in serving. Right? I can't just sit on my butt all day and just, you know, receive from other people. And so all it is is checking off on boxes the number or the areas of ministry that you might be interested in serving in. And so, you know, once you fill that out, at some point in the next month, you know, one of those leaders will reach out and say, hey, I saw you're interested in audio ministry. Let's talk about it. Or you really want to get involved in the nursery, right? We'd love to see you potentially serve there. Uh, by checking off, you know, that form, the, the people will be able to follow up with you so you're able to actually get involved in service, right? And so that, that's kind of the first step where you fill out the membership app and the service form. And then once you fill both of those, um, Sarah Drinker will send you a link in which you can sign up for the next elder interview, right? So typically we'll fill it out kind of two or three months in advance. And so based on scheduling, we just say try to sign up as soon as you can, and you'll be able to have that conversation. Right, and there's no kind of secret passcodes or things that you're learning there. It's just a simple conversation, right? Brother to brother, brother, sister of, do you really know Jesus Christ as your saving Lord? Right? Do you know him or are you a true believer? And so assuming that that's gone well, then you're ready to join the next member welcome, right? And so for all of those that have gone through all the steps, Sarah will typically email everyone saying, here's the next member welcome date. Are you able to make it, right? And so once you've said yes and you've actually stood up there with the rest of everyone else, then you are officially a member and then you're one of us. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're, we're all believers, right? But then you're, you're officially a member of new community there. Um, so again, hopefully it's, it's not too difficult or complex of a process. I'll actually send all of you an email if you finish four out of the six classes with that basic information. Um, and then hopefully all of that will, will make sense as you go through. Okay. A couple other things, right? I think it's, it's listed on there. Tell me if it's not. It says reasons that we may postpone membership. Uh, do you guys have that on your sheet at the very bottom? Okay, great. So one, of course, you are not a believer, right? As we've said, uh, you, you can't truly be a part of a church if you're not genuinely saved. We still want you to be here. We'll share the gospel, but in terms of formal membership, uh, that just couldn't happen. Uh, another reason is if you don't agree with the fundamentals of our doctrinal statement, right? So that's just going to, again, those tier one issues of how do you actually be saved, right? What does it mean to know God in a saving way? If you don't affirm those things, right, if you have more of a Catholic understanding or a Jehovah's Witness understanding, well, you know, then we can't say that you truly know Jesus in, in a truly saving manner, right? So that might be reason to postpone membership, right? Not, not meaning it can never happen, but let's say, hey, Let's talk through this and make sure you know the, the true gospel message. A third reason, right, is if you've not yet been baptized as a believer, right? And so I don't know if it has it on there, but the key there is as a believer, not the mode of baptism, right? So there are those who maybe came from a more a Presbyterian background where they, uh, they were technically sprinkled or, or done something else, but it was done as a true believer, you know, once they were old enough to understand the truth of God's word, you know, that's okay, um, but the main thing is where you baptize as a believer, right? So what we would be concerned about and where we would ask you to get rebaptized is if you came from, let's say, a Presbyterian background 
or a, a Catholic background in which they will sometimes sprinkle infants who have no idea what's going on, right? They, they barely even know their parents, right? Um, you know, we can't say in good faith that you were baptized in a biblical manner at that point because you weren't saved, right? You had no idea what was going on. The main thing is have you as a believer who knows Christ, knows what you were doing, has chosen to get baptized. And so if not, um, please speak with me because I do help to arrange the baptisms and would love to get you on the list for the next round, which we'll have, which is probably end of January, uh, still to be determined. But um, please talk with me because right? that will be one of the things during the interview, which can cause a holdup where they say, hey, you know, you are saved. Right. I think I affirm that, but you, you haven't been baptized yet. Right. And so you need to do that as an obedience to the Lord, because the pattern you see in the book of Acts it wasn't that a person gets saved and then you, you be a believer for 20 years, really show and prove that you're saved and then get baptized, right? What's the pattern that you see? A person who has given their life over to Christ. There's already been the external change. Baptism is actually the first act of obedience to show this is what's just happened to me internally. And so I demonstrate that through my external obedience of going down in the water and showing that in my life. And so again, if you haven't been baptized, please speak with me because we want to make sure that you're able to obey the Lord in that regard. And the last one uh, should make sense is currently living in an ungodly, unrepentant lifestyle. And so that's not trying to say that we believe in a workspace obedience. That's just saying if, if you're doing things which are clearly in defiance to God's word, where you're openly rebelling over a period of time, well, it, it's hard to say that your statement of faith is genuine. Right? In that, those that are truly saved will have this desire to please the Lord. Right? That doesn't mean if you're struggling with sin, you're actively wanting to work against that, even if you're not overcoming it yet. Right? That's not what it's talking about. But it's just saying if you're truly not seeking at all to fight sin, you know, that's going to be a reason for a conversation. So those are just four things. And again, hopefully all of that makes sense. But uh, hopefully as you've heard all of this, right, as we're wrapping up this class, I, I hope that it's been helpful for each of you. Um, besides just knowing what does the Bible say about what a church should be, right? I, I hope that this has given you thoughts about a new community and whether you truly want to commit to this local body here. And you know what? If you've gone through these classes and you say there are some serious differences and I think this church isn't for me anymore, I would say we understand that. Right? We're not trying to say this is the only church that a person can go to. It's to give you enough biblical information so you know what we believe in, where we stand what a healthy church hopefully from scripture is, and now you can make that decision for yourself. And so just know that um, after this class, again, I'll be emailing and, and potentially calling or texting those of you who have finished the class, you know, four out of six sessions, but also if there are questions as well throughout this whole process, please reach out to me or Doug, because we'd love to do what we can to connect with you, okay? So I hope that's helpful. Uh, I know that was kind of fast because there's a lot of material there, but I wanted to leave enough time for questions at the end. So are there any questions you guys have, whether stuff we covered here, questions about the church, getting involved, uh, maybe things that were said in previous sessions? Yeah, yeah, so like primary. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I'm five out of six years. So right, okay, right. I, I, okay. I don't want, it could have been long. But yeah. Oh, well, I have to look at it in front of me, but, it, but it's basically those truths in our doctrinal statement which are needed to be a believer, right? So those would be considered first here. Um, other areas like, you know, the nature of spiritual gifts, you know, as a church, we would hold to what's known as cessationism. You know, but there are those who are considered continuationists, right? So a cessationist position is saying that um, the sign gifts, the more miraculous gifts of, you know, healing on the spot or miracles or prophecy, um, that was um, more for the first century church as, you know, the canon was being written and established. Those are no longer continuing into today's, you know, church age. There are godly believers who are continuationists. You know, where they would say, well, you know, some of those gifts are continuing on into the present age, right? So as a church, we would hold to the cessationist position. Um, but we understand there are, you know, godly Christians like John Piper, you know, who would hold to a continuationist view, right? And so that would be an area in which we would say, you can still become a member even if you hold to a continuationist view. But that's where then we would say, because of the doctrine that we hold to as a church, 
just be willing to not make that your beating drum to, to convince everyone. So, and we can talk more in depth if you want about that too. And but eschatology is another one. Yes, yeah. So mode of baptism would be oh, another. Okay. Yeah, right. I, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so if there's specific questions, please feel free to talk with me after. So uh, that's a great question, Holly.